Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Transcribed. In a democracy, the president should be the agent of the people, not their ruler. Mr. President starring Edward Arnold. Mr. President at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. We invite you now to become better acquainted with one of America's greatest men. These are little-known stories of the men who have lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. In a moment, we'll present Edward Arnold in tonight's Mr. President drama. You know, too many of us think of history as a boring collection of dull names, dates, and places. We forget that historical figures were once living, breathing human beings, possessed of the same driving emotions that dominate our own times. They loved and hated, aspired and dreamed, even as we do today. It's the loss of these humanizing qualities that make so many history texts mere listings of dry statistics. In the preparation of the Mr. President scripts, on the other hand, every effort is made to bring you not only carefully checked facts, but with them the color and atmosphere of the times in which each episode takes place. If after hearing tonight's story, you have the feeling that you've been transported back through time for an actual visit to the period and place in which it occurred, these efforts will have succeeded. Now for tonight's drama starring Edward Arnold, see if you can name the president upon whom this episode is based. It was Saturday noon in the White House. The president had been busy all morning with important documents and interviews. His wife had also been busy with her customary Saturday morning reception. The last of our guests have gone, Mr. President. Oh, it's fine, dear. Yeah, oh, the reception was a brilliant success. Mm-hmm. Fine, fine. I think we have some new friends among the congressmen. Mm-hmm. And you're grunting and not listening again. Mm-hmm. Fine, fine. And I stood on my head all during the reception. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Mr. President, you haven't heard a word I've been saying. Mm-hmm. What's that, my dear? I have to. I heard everything you told me. And what did I say, dear? Well, you said you stood on your head all during the reception. Good heavens! What kind of undignified foolishness! You, you didn't really, did you? Oh, of course not. <laughs> I merely wanted to prove that you pay no attention to what I say. Mm, trapped by surprise tactics. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, now, tell me, how did the reception go? That's what I was trying to tell you. Oh. It went very well. Uh, Sarah, you don't know how grateful I am that you... Meet the representatives and senators for, for me every Saturday morning. I can't stand social activity myself, and you're making friends for both of us. Indeed I am. 
They're beginning to talk of my administration instead of yours. <laughs> Good, you're more popular than I, and much prettier, too. Flattery, sir, will not excuse you for not listening. Flattery? Oh, no, my dear. I'm sure you're the prettiest woman who's ever lived in the White House, and the most capable, too. <laughs> I'm very lucky. But, you know, I never would have believed it. Believed what? That you could draw the guests you do in spite of not permitting any card playing or dancing in the White House. There are some things I will not permit in this house. I know, I know. I, I wish I could stop certain things, too. The long line of offer seekers for one. And the constant horde of people who want money for one reason or another. If you'd stop giving away all your money, maybe people would stop coming to you for loans and gifts. Oh, I have stopped it. Oh, yes. Sarah, I'm a reformed man. No matter what kind of a hard luck story they give me, I won't hand out another dime. Really? Since when? Since last month, my dear, nobody's been able to get any money out of me at all. I've become tight-fisted, grasping, and absolutely stony-hearted. Uh-huh. And is that why you handed that congressman $100 yesterday? Oh, that. Oh, well, oh, sure. you've heard about it already, have you? Well, I didn't give Mallard the money, really. It was, it was a loan. He gave me a note. And you expect him to pay you back? Well, not for a while, but the, the poor fellow is very hard up. Oh, that's too bad. And did he tell you why he needed the money? Oh, certainly, certainly. There's a mortgage on his house and the interest was due. You believed him? Of course. Why shouldn't I? Mr. President, you're gullible. Congressman Maller was on a great spree yesterday. Oh, I can't believe it. For your information, he left a trail of gold pieces all over Washington. He didn't just spend your money, he threw it away. No. Yes, and he boasted that he got it from you. Now, everyone will know you're an easy mark. You'll have more people bothering you for money than ever from now on. Stony-hearted indeed. Sarah, I will be from now on, I promise oh, you. Dear. I may have made a mistake in believing the congressman. He seems so sincere, though, and so desperately in need. But from today on... I'll turn a deaf ear to all pleas for money. I wish I could believe you. But the next idler who brings you a tale of woe will get your sympathy. And some of your money. Oh, no, my dear. I'm a changed man. Are you expecting someone else? It's the Secretary of State. Come in, sir. Come in. Well, I thought I heard voices in here. <laughs> Ship-shaped place you got here, Mr. President. Well, I'm glad you like it, young man. And to what am I indebted to? Uh, this your missus? Hey, she's just as pretty as they say. <laughs> yes, this is my wife, and you are... Uh, Dirk Dutton, uh, first-class seaman, sir. Uh, how do you do, ma'am? How do you do, Mr. Dutton? Hey, you've got a snug harbor here, safe from storms and financial rocks. Yes, we like it here, but uh, to what do we owe your presence, Mr. Dutton? Uh, now, uh, I don't have any snug harbor. You might say I'm stranded in a strange port. Indeed. And where is your home? Porkopolis, sir. Porkopolis? Oh, oh, you mean Cincinnati, the hog shipping center. <laughs> but uh, what are you doing here in Washington? Well, I'm, I'm weary of life on river and sea, sir. Never a place I can really call home. I uh, figured I'd drop anchor and settle on dry land for a change. Then you've decided to settle in Washington. Uh, I am, ma'am. I figured if it was good enough for you folks, it was good enough for me. Oh, <clears throat> but uh, what do you intend to do here, Mr. Dutton? Well, sir, I thought I'd leave that up to you. Up to me? But what do I have to do with it? Well, you're my skipper, ain't you? Gave you my vote, didn't I? Well, I don't know. Did you? <laughs> Twice. Voted in two different ports. Oh, good heavens. <laughs> oh, I, I don't expect no reward for it. I only did my duty. 
Help the nation steer a straight course with the right skipper. Well, thank you for this judgment. But uh, what can I do for you? Well, I, I want to stay on land. I need a job. Oh, I see. And what kind of a job are you looking for? Well, that's your lookout, sir. I know you won't try to palm off any measly old job on me. You'll make it a good one. I trust you. Well, thank you for your trust. But I'm afraid I don't have a job for you. Not even as collector of a port somewhere? No, no. All such jobs are filled. Uh, any old postmastership open? I'm afraid not. I should think your best opportunity would be in the work you know as a sailor. Oh, maybe so. But I, I've stowed all my gear at a hotel here and they won't give it back. Why not? I owe $20 back rent from a cabin. Oh, I see. And you have no money. Mr. President, no. Just a moment, dear. Just a moment. Uh, Let's find out about this. You have no money, Mr. Dutton? Uh, no, sir. You know, you've got thieves in Washington. My second day here, they robbed me every cent ahead. Why, that's terrible. Well, what about your friends and relatives? Can't they help you? No, I'm all alone in the world, sir. Drifting about without a rudder. Uh, if I could get back into my hotel, at least have quarters for a few more days, I, I think I could find work somewhere. Well, Mr. Dutton, I may be doing the wrong thing. Oh, but... I'll pay you back, sir. I'm sure you will. I'll let you have $25. That's enough to pay your back rent and to eat for a week. Oh, bless you, Skipper. I'll be under full sail before you know it. <laughs> I'm glad I voted for you twice. Well, the next time, only vote once. Yeah. Goodbye and good luck. <laughs> Goodbye, Skipper <laughs> and ma'am. So you're the changed man, the stony-hearted who wouldn't give away any more money. Now, Sarah, this man's case was different. He was really in need. Yes, in need of money to drink or gamble with. Well, let's not judge too harshly, dear. I believe he'll pay it back. I'm glad you're in office for only four years. We couldn't afford to keep this job any longer. Mr. President, I don't like the situation. I don't like it at all. Sit down, Mr. Secretary, and tell me what's troubling you. Oh, thank you. How can you be so calm, sir, when we have a crisis on our hands? Crises are nothing new in this office. I've had them regularly one a day since I was elected. What is it this time? This trouble with Mexico over Texas. You remember that I had grave misgivings right from the start. Oh, I know you did. My opinion then was that since Mexico has never recognized Texas independence, she would view American annexation as an invasion of her territory. Annexation was part of my platform, sir. It was what we wanted and what Texas wanted. Of course, it isn't what Mexico wanted. She's after Texas. So is England. But Texas is vital to us for our security. Yes, I know. But was it necessary to send our troops there? Since Mexico has sent its troops northward to the Rio Grande, I deemed a counter-move necessary. The Texans requested armed protection. Do you think I could ignore their request? Oh, I don't know. I only wanted to avoid trouble. When two opposing armies face each other across a narrow stream, trouble is inevitable. Oh, General Taylor is capable of coping with it? Mr. President, do you realize this may soon lead to war? I do realize it, sir. And I'm prepared for it. The entire matter can be settled peacefully if they want it that way. If they want war, we can furnish that too. <laughs> Mr. President, 
You've heard the news, sir? Yes, I've heard it. Part of the Mexican army has crossed the river and attacked our forces. They've killed a captain. Two companies of General Taylor's troops. Sixty-three officers and men. I know. I've just finished reading the dispatch. I've sent for the Secretary of War. I will also call a cabinet uh, meeting at half past seven tonight. I'll be there. This is a critical moment. An act of hostility has been committed against us. We may soon be at war. As far as I'm concerned, we are at war. General Taylor has made a requisition on the governors of Texas and Louisiana for 5,000 men to be sent to his relief as quickly as possible. At the meeting tonight, I shall tell the cabinet that I expect to draft a message to Congress recommending prompt and vigorous measures to enable me to prosecute the war. You have opposition in Congress. What if they refuse to support your measures? What if they vote against the declaration of war? I believe they will support me. I believe it is what uh, our people want. I hope you're right. I am confident of my stand, sir. Once the war is recognized by Congress, I am sure that with a large force on land and sea, the war can be quickly ended, and in our favor. That may be so, but will Congress recognize the war? The Whigs will oppose it. But a hostile act has been committed. Americans have been killed. Even the Whigs must see that we, we can't back down now. Mr. President, you were up until three this morning. Yes, sir. It, it can't be helped. Cabinet conference. You were up until two the night before. I don't think you've had more than four hours sleep in weeks. I know, my dear, but there's a lot of work on the agenda. Now that Congress has approved the declaration of war, there's, there's more work than ever. Oh, but you look so tired. At least you could get some rest if you stopped seeing all the people who want jobs or money. I wish I could, but the president must be available. Now, that must be the first of the applicants now. I have a crowded reception room today. Come in. As usual. Oh, uh, hello, Mr. President and ma'am. Well, I'm back. Oh, dear. Let me see. This is uh, Mr. Dutton, isn't it? Uh, hi, Skipper. Hale and hearty and under full financial sale. Well, I'm delighted to hear it. <laughs> Winds of fate have blown fairly, sir. And I'm bringing back the money you let me have. For which? Many thanks. Yeah, here you are, sir. Well, Mr. Dutton, I'm very happy that you found employment on your feet again. What are you doing? <laughs> Playing cards every night, sir, and winning. Just swabbing the deck with them. Oh, no. <laughs> that is your sole employment? Gambling? Oh, uh, yes, ma'am. I'm doing very well, too. Get out of my house, huh? sir. I want no gamblers here. I... Get out before I take a broom. Uh, 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 yes, ma'am, yes. Get I'm going. I'm going. Did you hear what I'm Have you figured out yet who was president when these events happened? They really did happen, you know. With the war in progress, the president's work was vastly increased. But the applicants for money and jobs formed a larger line than ever, and something had to be done about it. No more protests, Mr. President. Today I am putting my foot down. But, Sarah, it, it just isn't right for me to leave my duties and take a walk. There are people to be seen, letters to be reviewed, papers to sign. They can wait. There are just so many hours in the day, and you labor most all of them. You simply must get away from your desk and get a bit of exercise. I insist. <laughs> all right, my dear. But it's kidnapping. That's what it is. Well, I say it's common sense. It'll do you good to get away from those office seekers. Oh, I suppose you're right, my dear. You usually are. Oh, 
I don't know which are worse, those who want jobs or those who want money. Half a dozen times a day I'm approached to contribute to build academies, to endow colleges, to aid churches in every part of the union. It's your own fault. You've acquired such a reputation for giving freely that it's now demanded of you. But I'm putting a stop to all gifts at once. Again. Well, this time I mean it, my dear. I'll, I'll be tight-fisted and unsympathetic to all. Why, I'll be utterly bankrupt if this thing keeps up. That's what I've been trying to tell you. My attitude will be completely different from now on. I promise you. I'll be the stingiest man in Washington. <laughs> Come, my dear, let's, let's sit on this bench for a moment or two. Hmm? <sighs> By the way, how's your nephew getting along at Georgetown College? Not so well, I'm afraid. Hmm? Now, after sending him there for two years, paying all his expenses... Seeing to it that he wants for nothing, he's proved idle and inattentive to his studies. You've decided to take him out of school, I trust. Oh, definitely. Well, it's about time you came to your senses. But I've entered him in another school. You haven't. Sir, he's my brother's son, my own flesh and blood, and I have to give him another chance. Well, dear, you and your nephew have at least one thing in common. And what is that? Neither of you will ever learn. <laughs> hey, Mr. President... Mr. President. Yes, yes. What is it, sir? Mr. President, you left your office early today. Yes, I know it. What about it? You realize I waited 35 minutes by my watch to see you before I found out you weren't even here. Oh, I'm so sorry if I caused you any inconvenience. The truth is my wife thought I should get outside for a change. Uh, this is my wife, Mr... Uh, Tompkins. How do, ma'am? How do you do, Mr. Tompkins? And uh, just what was it you wished to see me about, sir? Uh, I thought you might have a job for me. And what gave you that idea? Oh, it's a big country, sir. You can't do everything by yourself. You need help. Now, I'm a patriotic citizen of the United States. I come from a long line of patriots. I'm willing to give up my regular work to serve my country. Oh, that's most sacrificial of you, Mr. Tompkins. Yeah, I know. Of course, I'd be interested only in a good-paying job. I see. And uh, what kind of a job would you like? Anything. Yeah, I'm not particular. Oh, that shows a willing spirit. Uh, what are you doing now? Clerking in the general store. But I'm cut out for bigger things. Oh, I don't doubt it. Now, just where would you suggest I could use your talents? That's a problem, ain't it? Wait, I got it. I think I'd be fine at making treaties. <clears throat> well, I am so sorry, Mr. Tompkins. I have a full quota of treaty makers already. You have? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm. Well, maybe I can think of something else. Well, I'm sure you can. Good day, Mr. Tompkins. Goodbye, Mr. President. <laughs> Did you ever hear anything like that? Never. Where do these people come from? I don't know. It's a big country. I guess it takes all kinds of people to make it. And you thought I could get away from office seekers by taking a walk. Apparently, I was wrong. I can escape from the White House, but not from the office. We may as well go back, my dear. He'd be fine at making treaties, wouldn't he? <laughs> Great news from the Mexican front, sir. General Taylor has won a smashing victory. Well, I've seen the dispatches, Mr. Buchanan. Why must my generals be rash and insubordinate heroes? Why, Mr. President, you should be proud. General Taylor won against a force that outnumbered him four to one. He's a brave man and a very foolish one. He was ordered to stay in Monterey and not attempt any offensives with the skeleton force left him. He had no business marching off through the mountains to, to seek an engagement with the enemy 80 miles away. But he won. That's what counts. Yes, I, I have no doubt the people will agree. 
We cheer an underdog who wins, but consider, sir, what defeat would have meant to us, loss of all territory and occupation in northeastern Mexico. In my opinion, it was an unnecessary risk. It's done. The risk was successful. What's troubling you, sir? General Taylor is a hard fighter, and he's won a victory, yes. But at what a price! 673 officers and men killed or wounded. And all because a general couldn't obey orders. Yes, I rejoice that our brave army has won this battle, but I lament the severe loss they've sustained. I appreciate your feelings, sir, but we are very close to final victory now. We must plan ahead. Mm, I agree with you. We must have a treaty ready. Of course, I'd like you to negotiate it. I wouldn't hesitate to send you on this special service to Mexico if their authorities would agree to appoint commissioners. They've already refused to do that. The alternative, then, is to send a trusted deputy to the headquarters of our army in Mexico and make it known there is such a person with the army ready to negotiate. But you have no authority to alter the terms or to sign a treaty. That meets with my approval. Now, uh, where can we find a man qualified for this work? I have just the man for us. Nicholas Trist. Chief clerk in my department. Oh, yes, yes, a good choice. He served well as acting secretary of state whenever you were absent. Yes, and he knows the Spanish language and character. Good, he's our man. Now, you, Mr. Buchanan, will draw up a treaty. You know my views on the matter. We'll have it approved by the cabinet and send Mr. Trist to tend it to the Mexican government. I'll get at it promptly. <laughs> Looks like you have a busy agenda of callers today. As usual, half past two must be the senator from Illinois. Come in. Well, good day, Mr. President. Good day. Well, hello, Mr. Secretary. I'm uh, not chasing you out, am I? Hello, Senator. No, I've concluded my business. The president's all yours. <laughs> well, Senator, what can I do for you? Well, Mr. President, I feel it's my patriotic duty to leave my seat in the Senate and join the war against Mexico. Oh, that's very laudable of you, sir. Did you have any special military post in mind? Why, yes, I did. Uh, you may not know this, but I'm a brigadier general of the Illinois State Militia. Uh -huh. Now, according to the recent act of Congress, the president is to select the brigadier and major generals from the officers now in command of the various state militia. Yes, I know the act very well, and uh, you want a command for yourself. Uh-huh. Naturally, I'd prefer a brigadier's rank, but if you don't find it possible, I'm willing to accept a commission as a major general. I'm sorry, Senator. Uh, no. No? You mean you won't give me a command? I mean precisely that. Mr. President, do you have the right to refuse me? I have that right, and I do refuse you, sir. Personally, I'm sick and tired of this congressional thirst for military office. I have a swarm of applications from senators and representatives. Representative Douglas from your state also asked for a commission. Oh, I, I have no objection to that. No, but I have an objection. Men like you, Senator, greatly embarrass the operations of this government. You create officers by your own votes, as you did when you voted in this act. And then you seek to fill these officers yourselves. I think it's corrupt to have members of Congress in such military posts, and I refuse to appoint them. There's another election, Mr. President. You alienate men of influence. I, for one, will not support you for the presidency again. You won't have to, Senator. I don't intend to run again. I've heard of imp 
impudence, Mr. President, but nothing to approach this exhibit. This Carolina widow insists that you support her and her three children and also finance the education of the children. <laughs> well, don't let it bother you, Sarah. Some of our citizens have weird notions as to the duties of a president. Actually, I've had this case investigated. You would. Well, I believe in helping worthy cases. This one isn't worthy. The woman has friends and relatives who can help her. She's also capable of gainful employment. Do they think the president can finance out of his own funds everyone in the country who needs money? My dear, in refusing requests for money and jobs, I'm fast becoming the most unpopular man in the land. The latest to become my enemy is the senator from Missouri. But you did make an appointment on his letter of recommendation. True, my dear, for surveyor of the port of St. Louis. The Senate rejected the appointment. However, at the insistence of this same senator from Missouri. Uh, I don't understand. If he recommended the man in the first place... He called at my office the other day to recommend another man for the same office. When I asked why he'd rejected the man I'd nominated, he said it was because the man was wholly unqualified. I then handed the senator his own letter of recommendation for the man he'd rejected. Good. What excuse did he offer? Well, he looked a little confused and said, well... You know, we're obliged to recommend our constituents when they apply to us. <laughs> so, my dear, I didn't nominate the second man, and the senator was offended. <laughs> well, what news do you have from Mexico? Have we won the war yet? No, that remains to be seen. And nobody awaits the answer more impatiently than I. But I thought things were going well. We've had victories at Buena Vista, Veracruz, Mexico City. Oh, the military war, yes, yes. I can safely assume we've won that. But no war is won on the field of battle alone, Sarah. You've worked so many long hours on this, dear. I do hope we've won. Come in. Come in. You asked me to call as soon as I got word on the treaty, Mr. President. Yes, of course, Mr. Begunner. What have we won? Everything we asked in the original instructions. The Texas boundary to the Rio Grande and on payment of $18 million, the provinces of New Mexico and Upper California. Wonderful, Mr. Buchanan. Wonderful. And now, if Congress will only ratify this treaty, it will be the proudest achievement of my life. For it will mean that no foreign power can hem us in and threaten our security. Well, you've probably figured out by now who the president was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. Certain things never go out of date. One is good drama, the other good taste. And ABC has them both every Thursday night when we proudly present the Screen Guild players. There's good drama plus when top-notch movie stars appear in hour-long adaptations of the year's best films. Whether it's a side-splitting comedy, a warm and tender romance, or a story with an exotic background, the drama you hear on Screen Guild Players is good. As for good taste, it goes without saying that each program is ideally suited to group listening, ideally planned to mean something to each and every listener. When the curtain goes up on ABC's Screen Guild Players tomorrow night, the stellar cast will include Ronald Reagan, Eve Arden, and Reginald Garden in No Time for Comedy. That's Screen Guild Players on ABC. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Congratulations, Mr. President. I've just heard the news that Congress ratified the Mexican Treaty. Yes, it's true, my oh. dear. 
And I feel certain that because of this treaty, our nation will have greater protection and prosperity for many years to come. I only hope the people will realize that. They will. Perhaps not right away. But in the years ahead, they'll be grateful for the great lands brought to the United States by the untiring efforts of James Knox Polk. Be with us again next week, won't you, for another interesting story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Until then, goodbye. This program is produced and directed by Dick Woolen. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings and written by Dave Noenson. Heard in today's cast were Earl Lee, Bill Boucher, Verna Felton, Herbert Butterfield, and your narrator, Ted DeCorsia. Today's story was based on incidents in the life of President James K. Polk. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. The preceding was transcribed. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.